Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael Russo and Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast. Michael and I are so excited today. You know, when we talk about the four core elements of razor branding, we talk about focus. That's the people that you got to focus on, their demographics, their psychographics, all that good stuff. We talk about promise. That's how you're different from the competition. That's why people should pick you. The fourth one, I'm skipping number three for a second. The fourth one is harmony. That's where your message should go. But he, as a writer, will tell you in his core, at his heart, he believes the third is the most important. By the way, I think our third kid is also the most important. So there may be some truth to this whole number three thing for him. But it's about connection. It's about what you say to cut through the clutter to get people's attention. And our guest today, Dave Snyder, knows this better than anybody because, I mean, Michael, wouldn't you agree? It's just about the message. I, I do agree, but I cannot believe you. I mean, I know our kids will never listen to this or get that. I mean, if they got this far, I'd be impressed. But if they did, they'd be mortified the fact that you called out number three as the, as the special one. No, they wouldn't be surprised, actually. They all believe that's true. And well, you know it, it's true. Well, she's the one that returned the Tupperware the other day. So she's high up on the list right now. You have very low standards. That that's all it takes to become your favorite. It's always been the way. I mean, yeah. Anyway, but yes, I thought Dave was very insightful. And it's stuff that um, that we, you know, if you're afraid of technology or stepping into getting your hands dirty with this content management and development and creation, which is can be exhausting, really. I mean, there's so much to do and to keep it quality and to keep it branded. It's, it's tough. And um, companies like his, from what I'm gathering, you know, do this very well and they help out businesses and other agencies. And I think it's important, no matter what you do, is to never take your hands off the wheel. You know, if you're just handing it over and saying, hey, create stuff for me and I'm going to trust it and put it out there, that's going to end up biting you uh, on the backside, I think, because it's it's more important that you have some kind of strategy and um, you are driving the car, so to speak, you know? Yeah, that's exactly it. So, yeah, anyway, but I, like I said, he's a really cool guy. He's got a really long beard, and I think that was cool. And, um, and Your and beard we, envy is out of control. I mean, it's an, it was an impressive beard. Um, but anyway, yeah, he was great, and uh, I enjoyed the conversation, and I'm looking forward to um, everyone listening. Hopefully, you know, we get more and more people tuning in because our guests have been remarkable. I mean, they really have. Right? I mean. <laughs> Very insightful, smart, yeah, uh, doers. And uh, the fact that they're taking the time to come on our small little podcast is just awesome. And I love the fact that they're doing it and um, hope people enjoy it as much as we did. <laughs> you say small little podcast. We are minutes away from crossing the 10,000 mark. So I think at some point you're going to have to believe this podcast is doing something. Well, we'll see. If you are right. listening, feel free to shoot us a message and say, hey, I enjoy it. And how would they actually reach you? Um, you could email me at michael at brandrusso.com or they can find my huge social media presence. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I, have a, I have a TikTok account now, but it's hidden. Nobody really knows so it's there. So you want them to TikTok you? Is that what you're saying? Because well, I'm embarrassed they, If they right can find me, but I don't know if they can find me because I, I don't have anything posted or anything. Um, I'm on Facebook, um, but that's hidden too. I don't actually go friend people, so I'm not really okay. active. So, so perhaps maybe social media is not the way to reach you. Well, you're you're better at that than I am. So yeah. Uh, without further ado, let's hear from Dave Snyder. Dave, Perfect. thanks so much for being here. 
Thanks for having me. Um, so we had a little chance to talk, you know, beforehand, but I really don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because I feel like you and Michael could have turned this into the two of you chatting about work for the next two days and not even cover all the topics. So I, I like to start at the beginning. Tell us where Copy Press came from and sort of how you've grown it to what it is today. Yeah. So um, 2010 or so, I I owned an agency that merged into a larger agency. Um, and during that time frame, we started building some tools that we thought would help us, um, you know, scale our offering. One of those tools what is what would become CopyPress, right? Um, basically, in those days, we were a penny a word content mill, right? Like not to mince words on what we were. And I'm, I like going back to those days because um, we are not that anymore. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, 2010. Uh, I had a falling out with the agency that I was um, an owner in and traded my stock for stock and copy press. I got some investors and started pushing forward. And our big vision at that time was I thought that there was going to be a day where content would no longer be commoditized um, in the online marketing space. I felt like eventually there would be a day where people were willing to pay a premium for premium content. Um and that the days where um, like low quality um, contextless content um, would eventually die. I was right, but it happened slowly. <laughs> <And> so the <laughs> first five years of us being alive was us like um, just scrounging. Like, honestly, we should be out of business by now, but we're not. But about five years ago, the whole market started turning. And then what we realized was copy press, um, you know, with what we do specifically, I think it's a good, I, this is good for all marketing owners and business owners. Like you don't need to be everything for everyone. Right. Um, so what we weren't going to be was just a content platform. Like we don't work with people that want to just build four blog posts a month. Right. We were going to specialize in content at scale. And what that means is like my largest customer, we do about 2000 articles a month for them. Right. Wow. That's, yeah. Crazy. Crazy scale where you're controlling voice and tone across that body of work is very, very difficult work, right? And so we wanted to specialize in that. Um, and we wanted to specialize particularly working with agencies and giving them the ability because the agencies maybe can work with a customer who has to do four blog posts a month. But if they have a couple hundred customers, they're a good fit for us. So um, we five years ago dovetailed into, okay, we're going to we're going to charge a premium for content. We've always been that way, but we're also going to not try to get a thousand customers. What if we try to get a hundred customers that are spending what we want um, and doing the kind of projects we want? And that's when the gas got hit. Um, and today, like this year, we'll probably do over 15 million in rev and I've got 85 employees um, <laughs> where, you know, if you met me seven years ago, I would have asked you if you had a couple extra bucks so I can make, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> so like, um, it's been an interesting, like, yeah, it's just been an interesting journey. Um, you know, I, I think what I do well a lot of time is see what's coming up in the marketing space and how things are going to change. Um, I think it's having the fortitude to stick with that <laughs> and know that it's right. coming and like, can you get through to the next level? It's, so I, I mean, it's, it's, it's so dramatic, the change right now that we're going through. It really is. Um, I mean, I like to 
consider myself uh, an old school ag guy. I came out of school and we were still, you know, really hand lettering things. And, you know, it was um, the print ad was king. You know, you had a headline, body copy, uh, image and you know, a nice footer. And and then, you know, the, the three basic medias, right? It was broadcast, radio and print. And you threw in a pocket folder every once in a while. And today it is it is almost exhausting to keeping up with how many channels and how many how much content you have to produce. Um, you know, you used to be able to do an ad campaign and let it run for, you know, six months. And that considered, you know, three ads and three this and three that. Now it's that's every day that you're having to generate this type of stuff. So it is overwhelming. And I, and I like I said, I was talking to you earlier, you know, our agency itself, I mean, we're kind of at the, you know, busting at the seams right now as far as ability to keep up with that and finding the talent we need to facilitate it, you know? And so I've been looking at companies like yours and I'm glad we're talking today because I, I want to learn more about it. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you bring up a good point too. There's lots of platforms and channels and things to do. And so I think, you know, part of our job specifically when we work with customers is driving them towards the right places. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like you see it so often where people are like, well, I was told I need to be on TikTok, so I'm going to go on TikTok. And it's like, cool, but you sell industrial magnets, which actually <laughs> that would be a good, that would probably be a good TikTok channel, <sighs> industrial magnets. But you know what I'm saying? Like not every channel is for every single business. Absolutely. Not every type of content is for every business. Um, that's why we're also like really, really KPI focused when we create content campaigns. Because you'll see it a lot. People will spin out a content campaign and you'll get six months in with them if you haven't started with that kpi question and they'll be like well what value did we just get from this and it's like why are we having this conversation now can't tell you right and uh, for the listener at home kpi is key performance indicator and it's the metrics by which you judge the small little steps to see that you've accomplished the big things and there we go we just defined our relationship because i was writing that down to ask her later what it was Good. Well, that's um, why I said to the listener, so I wasn't right, calling yeah. you out, but I totally know that's what you were doing. <laughs> I was on a sales call yesterday, and I used like three acronyms back to back, and the, the person's like, all right, can you just wait a second? <laughs> Let me Google that real quick. And I was like, man, I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, so, you know, when you started talking about how y'all have grown, and it's kind of when y'all start to push the gas, that's right about the point, I think, from a chronological standpoint, when AI really started to become a big thing. So I was going to ask you if you felt threatened by it or if it was a problem. But what I'm actually asking is, do you feel like now there's no middle? Either I'm going AI and I'm getting something cheap and computer generated, or I'm hiring a company like yours because I want the premium quality stuff and there's just nothing left in the middle. Yeah, I would I would say uh, like um, to that, the last question, I would say the middle is going away because the middle used to be like low end providers. Well, not the middle, they used to be the bottom. Now it's kind of like, well, you're going to, you could pay less just to get the AI stuff. So why go with the low end providers? Right. right. Um, to answer your question about AI and my fear of it, this is a process that's happened. Like in five years ago, I would have told you, oh my God, I'm sweating this. Right. The robot apocalypse for copy press is coming. I'm at the hey, point I, now. I feel you, Dave. I feel you on the on the apocalypse thing. <laughs> I think there's still going to be a robot apocalypse. I just don't think it's going to happen to my business. <laughs> um, the uh, the reality for me now is I realize what AI is and what AI can't do. Right. So what's very interesting, right? Go back to those days when I said we started copy press and like low value content ruled the web. Um, AI takes us back to that low value content because the thing that AI can't right. It's always funny with me. Everybody goes, well, AI writes like a human. So like it's it's best 
at its best, AI just replicates humanity. It can't come up with new ideas, new concepts, um, new ideas, right? It can pretend to be Van Gogh. It can't be Van Gogh. And so, like, this is why I started to think, like, you know, where we're actually seeing the trend now is specifically Google as a channel, but other channels, people want expertise and authoritative nature to what's being presented. And that means coming up with new concepts and also putting context to information. AI can't do that. Now, I do think AI is a, so what I see is now is AI is a tool. It's like a hammer for a carpenter and it can be utilized in really unique ways. Um, B2C specifically, if you're an e-commerce store and you have a thousand SKUs, AI represents a very awesome way to create product descriptions that were, were not an economic viability before AI. Um, and what we really sell at CopyPress when you break it down is workflows. And so I see AI fitting into our workflows long-term, right? Where you can go to a customer and be like, okay, we'll, we'll build a, a brief, send it to AI, bring it back, run it through our editors and QA, right? Fact check it with a subject matter expert and then publish it. I think those are viable ways to utilize AI to reduce costs on content. But um, I think most content writing companies... Um, if they're realistic about what AI is, nobody's sweating it. I think who's sweating it is the low-end providers, because why would you now purchase from a low-end provider? One of the things that uh, you grabbed my attention earlier, you were talking about, you know, writing content for thousands of posts and and keeping the the tone across channels and whatnot. That's one of the things that we really believe in is emotional connections. We're, we're a branding agency. So branding is is a big part of what we feel and, and definitely the messaging side of it, you know? Um I think you lose some of that with AI, again, not not knowing those emotions and not knowing how to connect on an emotional level. But it sounds like that's something that's important to you. Um, how do you establish that across so many different writers? And Yeah, I mean, so when we started doing this, what most companies did and they still do is uh, if you want a piece of content, you put in a content brief, which is explaining like a blurb or piece of a page that explains how you want that singular piece of content. You know, as a branding guy, when you're creating a website, what's the first thing you create for the client? Like if, if you're creating a style guide most of the time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like if you're going for branding, you're creating the brand essence. This is your typography. These are your colors. This is sure. your tone. This is your voice. The, the critical change we made probably like two years into our existence was like, Oh, we should create style guides. You look at that and you think that's a no-brainer, but I would say 80% of the people in our space still don't create style guides. Not only do you need to create a brand style guide, but depend if you're creating multiple content types, you need to create style guides for the multiple content types. Then you need to create training. So like, this is the other thing that a lot of platforms are like, well, we have writers that are vetted and whatever, but cool, but are you training them on the voice and tone of the customer? So we have training programs running in the background constantly. Then... This is the role of the editor in QA, right? The style guide and the briefs become a living document and you're checking those against the written quality. And it's again, when people are taking up content campaigns, they often think, all right, I'll just find some outsourced writers and start producing this content. What they don't realize is, all right, well, you need to create the style guide, but you also need to QA train all these things. That's when all of a sudden, you know, we see people internally like, lose it right there there is not enough time in the day for them to manage it it's true because it's like multiple roles and the jobs of multiple people but that that's how you control at that level is constant training constant um qa um and it, you know it's a ton of ton of work hey jackie uh, qa means quality yeah Assurance. let's do that 
Thanks, Michael. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I, but you know, and that's the struggle. I mean, um, you know, we're, we're small agency um, in the scope of things, but in the past, you know, five, 10 years, we've, we've grown our client reach beyond what we probably should have been, you know, and, and we're in a small town in middle of Louisiana, um, South Louisiana, but Jack and I both, she worked in LA, I worked in Seattle. So we understand a little bigger markets and stuff. So we kind of brought that to the table, but the problem that I've had, I, I was the, the, um, the main writer, you know, per se. And lately I haven't been able to, with the amount of social media clients we manage, I've had to pass that on to other people to write captions and things like that. And so I've recently gone back and done exactly what you said, which was, okay, a, 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 um, you know, a messaging guide or style guide for that client, which has all the the inflections, the tones, the the hashtags, the, all the things that are, that are really important, the voice and the nature mm-hmm. of, of them to try to, and, but you're right, that only goes so far. It, it almost takes another discussion where you sit down and say, all right, this is what I'm trying. Cause the way I write it, and the way you write it, the way you do it is fine, but it's not right. How do right. you tell if it's right or not? You know? Yeah. So for our big campaign, as an example, like over the last year, I've had one person who's like, um, we hired about 40 writers for our largest campaign that are internal writers. Right? We use a hybrid model of internal writers and outsourced uh, contractors. And, um, this one person would get on weekly calls with people, all of them going through their writing and how it matched the voice and tone, right? Constant iterations, constant training to get them to that level, right? Um, and that, honestly, that's what's needed. That's the, to be able to, man, even if you're doing, if you have two writers internally, um, setting them up for success with a style guide um, and then doing, having the time to constantly iterate the content with them until they reach what you consider perfection is really what's needed. Yeah, our um, we have a process called um, Razor Branding, and it kind of deals with a lot of those things early on. We we take on it's a like six to eight week process where we um, we really kind of dig deep. We find out the ins and outs of the company. <coughs> Excuse me, I have to edit that out. <laughs> they um, he gets all important. choked up when he thinks about our work. It just gets him right there. I do, I do, but it's you know it. it thing about race branding is, you know, we, we, we cover the who, the what, the why, and the where, you know, um, the, like, like I said, somebody comes to us and says, you know, Hey, I want, I want to be on this channel. Well, we're, well, your audience isn't there. Why are you even talking about that? We want to push you in the right places, you know, just because the radio guy says you need to be on this channel doesn't mean you need to be on that channel. You know, there's facts that back up all that stuff. And it's almost like if, once you have that guide, usually they roll into us and we were the execution, we execute the plan, but, um, it sounds like in a lot of ways they could take that same plan if they have it and bring it to somebody like you to to execute those deliverables if they understand yeah. where they're at. In a hundred percent. So we work with in a hybrid manner, like we're very customized. So like there'll be customers that have their total plan thought out, right? And they know how to kind of manage the process and we'll con- we'll latch onto them and help them with that process. Then there's people that come to us that are like hands up, like I have no idea what to do, right? And we can kind of take that process over from them as well. Um I think that that's helpful for and why we end up with uh, keeping a lot of our customers long term is that ability to customize around them um, and not just be like, all right, you have to work within this workflow that we have. Because, um, again, we we really look at ourselves as a as just a production. unit. we do add strategy into our mix and help guide people. But at the end of the day, I'm just producing units for someone. Right. Who creates the strategy to say this is what this client needs in terms of so many blog posts, ebooks, 
website copy, whatever. Where's the plan come from? Um, yeah, again, it could come from the customer. Uh, we're starting a lot of our conversations with what are the KPIs, uh, key performance indicators. And so I'm um, <laughs> like, what are the, or, you know, OKRs, goals, right? Whatever you call them. Um, so we would start that conversation there. So some people will come in and be like, well, we've already established that we want to increase our organic search traffic. And here are the keywords that we want to increase, right? Um, other people will just come in and be like, we know we want to do organic search traffic, but we don't know how to get there. Um, a lot of the times there's also, and you probably go through this too, there's a, um, a re-education model that can have to happen because people will think they know what they want, but it's not exactly matching what their goals are. So um, what we try to do is figure out what their goals are and then steer them towards a plan of action based on our history and experience of how to meet those goals. Um, you know, for our agency partners, as an example, we're not doing a ton of that because that's kind of their bread and butter, right? Like that's what they've been brought on for is the strategy piece. And so unless they're coming to us and saying, hey, we have this specific customer who needs help, what would you do? We allow them to focus it. But um, in the case of our enterprise clients, a lot of the time we are helping to guide that strategy, again, based on the goals. Right. So, you know, Michael referenced uh, our process, Razor Branding, and it has these four core elements. The first is knowing who the audience is. The second is knowing why you're the right choice for that audience. The third is the message. And then the fourth is where the message goes, the tactics. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody wants to chase the shiny thing. You know, we we're talking earlier about the magnet company being on TikTok. That's where most people start. Hey, I want to I want to be on the TikTok. I heard it's the place to be. Mm -hmm. um, I had somebody that they asked me um, how to make them viral on Be Real. I was like, you've never been on Be Real, if that's the question that you're asking, because <laughs> that's not how that works. Um, anyway, so when I, I think about the role that storytelling plays and how important it is, I mean, we have it as the third step in this four-step process. To me, I see so many people thinking that means telling a story about their company, talking about um, the features of their company. How do you make that transition so they stop talking about or how do you get them to buy into that what y'all are writing about is more relevant than this laundry list of features that they want to push out there? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, this goes back to like what Michael was talking about. And uh, it's like somewhere in here in my office, I have a breakthrough advertising book. I don't know if you guys have ever read it. that. It's like yeah. this $350 book that I have in my collection. Right. I don't know what I'm going to do with now. Um, but it's like that same stuff still works where it's like, hey, don't talk about the features, right? Talk about the, the the solutions you present to the problems they have. Um, and that is from, from a standpoint of when we write content, it, even if it's dry, what we call evergreen content for SEO, where we're creating that specifically in the B2B space to answer questions people have while they're searching for solutions to problems they have. And so I think that's like, you know, that's the core thing. I'm, I'm always hitting everybody over the head with, and I do it in my sales and marketing too, is Nobody wants to get onto a B2B site specifically and just see a list of features, right? right. Um, that's never going to differentiate you from your competition. I mean, not never, but, you know, 99% of the time. Never. People want to know that you will solve the inherent problem they have with as little time and effort spent on yeah. their how, side. How do you make my life easier? How do you make my life right. easier? That is the right. number one thing. Or like, you know, if you're B2C, how do you make me cooler or more attractive mm -hmm. or these things? Like, 
and I and it's why I think that breakthrough advertising book is so interesting because it's like it's back to what you talk about, Michael. It's a guy who's just writing long form sales copy in magazines and direct mail, but those inherent uh, realities still exist. That and it goes back to what you said with emotional contact, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're playing to the person's emotions and what they most desire. Um, and rarely is that a list of features. Now, the list of features is important once they're further down in the buying funnel, right? Like, hey, I've got three proposals in front of me. Now I'm looking at, you know, I've got three air conditioners in front of me. Which one's going to be the best? Um, But I think still like the company that did the best job emotionally connecting with people, right? Go back to the air conditioner concept. The air conditioning guy that came to my house that my wife liked the best, that's going to be the guy I probably end up going with even if he's more expensive. Yeah, and I think people go both ways with that. Like I I went on a website the other day I was telling Jack about, and it was they were a consultancy or a sales team or something like that. But I, I went through every page and at no point could I figure out what the hell they did. I, I was like, they had so much jargon and fluff yeah. and, mm-hmm. and feel goods and like, okay, great. What do you actually do? What do you actually do? You know? Yeah. And I feel like, honestly, like uh, the copy press website today is in a state of transition. It's very, uh, yeah, it's getting updated and, and remodeled, but um, I think we do a poor job with kind of like, and, and part of it is this evolution over the last five years of figuring out who we are. And I think that's really part of this process, too, is who are you as a company? You know, what 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 did the uh, the company we hired actually to redo the design and CRO? Their question was, if if copy press was a person, what would they look like and who would they be? And I thought that was interesting, right, because that is conceptually what we're talking about is like, yeah, what what are you? Right. Like. If I just go and tell you oh, we're a copywriting platform, like okay, <laughs> it doesn't really explain like what we are. And you got to be careful with that, Dave. Sometimes they start going into the um, what is your spirit animal, and you know well, you end up on a, on a whole nother trip there. <laughs> well, we had this little we had this little um, cartoon figure of me, and so when that question was brought up in Slack, our chief product officer put up that cartoon image of me. I was like, oh, so it's a it's a fat guy with a bad memory. That's what you're telling me. Copy press is. <laughs> No, cool hit, man. The, the last three people we've talked to all had really long beards, and it makes me want to think. You know, I need I need to work on mine. But it, it's so I'm, I turned white and gray. I would look like a really bad Santa Claus, like a scary Santa Claus. I think if I did, mine's gotten pretty bad actually. This is all like this coloring stuff that I put in. Because uh, yes, I looked like Santa, and it was really. Bad. <laughs> I'm 42 and looked like Santa. It was not making me happy. Dave, I'm not in charge of of your choices, but Michael, I am in charge of yours. No to the beard. Shut that down right now. You think <sighs> no. My wife hated it when I first did it. And now she's like, no, you can't shave it. See, Jackie? And that's no. why we need to get a dog. Then you, you never need know. to marry Dave's wife just, yeah. if she likes beards. Because <laughs> not in my house. And how did you get from beard to dog? Exactly. Because it's something that I want. They won't let me have dog. it. I do. I do. We have uh, we have four kids, Dave. And we, we just sent them all to college. Uh, not at the same time, but over the past few years. And so we are you know, dealing with a uh, empty uh, house right now. Empty so, nest. Yeah. Yeah. I need a dog. We also just remodeled our house, Dave. We're not getting a dog. <laughs> What's funny is that I thought I'd have more time with all this, you know, because I'm not coaching baseball and doing all these things, but it's a vacuum of time. I'm sure you experience that too. As soon as you get a window, it just gets sucked up, you know, by something. Somebody mm-hmm. has, somebody's waiting there to fill it with something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the story of my life. And that, that's <laughs> kind of the, the, the timing, like I said, with, with all this stuff, you know, from agencies to, to businesses, I think managing this 
roller coaster of changes in content. And, you know, I mean, because that's the thing. I mean, Google changes the rules, it seems like every every few months, right? We're going to, oh, we're going to change it. You just figured it out. So we're going to make it really hard now. I think yeah. uh, doing anything on LinkedIn is like, you have to have a degree. I mean, it's just, they make everything complicated. So if you're not, if it's not in your wheelhouse and you're not doing it every day, it becomes a challenge. Yep. I mean, y'all, do, how do y'all manage that? I mean, how do y'all keep up with that? Yeah, so um, actually, uh, I recently, I mean, one, my background is in SEO, right? So like, um, I have a pretty good understanding of the his, historically where we are with algorithms. Um, the other thing is like, I think, and I've told people this for a long time, the one thing that spe- specifically Google wants, and or not wants, but has to have, right, is publishers. Google doesn't necessarily need to have commercial websites in their index, nor do they want them necessarily. Why? Because they make money off of ads, right? Like Google would be so happy if they were just able to have a 10 pack of ads on the homepage. But the reality is people go to Google to find answers and publishers are needed. And so if a company can turn themselves into a publisher long-term in some essence, they will be Google proof forever. Right. And so I think that's the way to kind of stay ahead. Like, don't be reactionary to changes in Google or what they tell you, right? Because some people forget Google's not, Google's not a government body, right? Because um, I have people who who misunderstand the concept. Like, for example, if I'm a uh, Twitter personality, per the FTC, I have to disclose if I'm being paid to share a product. Yes, Kim Kardashian. That's how she yes, got in trouble right, today. Right, exactly. That's a, that's a good example. And then... But Google also has this concept of putting no follows on links, right? And people convolute that as, well, you know, it's illegal to put, to give you a link without a no follow. I was like, no, no, no. That's just what Google wants you to do. These two things are, are different, right? Um, and so the reality with staying on Google's good side or doing what Google wants is always think like a publisher, always be creating information and, um, answering questions again, I think that goes back to that. And it's it's why I do think the e-commerce space particularly is very, very difficult. There's that, and then you have like stuff like Amazon in the mix, right? That just makes it inherently difficult to, to manage e-com. But you know, the best e-com brands out there, what do they do? They create brands. So, so if you're not a publisher, you better be a brand. And a brand means your name becomes synonymous with the thing that you do, right? Right. Um, good example for me, I do a lot of working out and Rogue Fitness is a brand, right? Like that is synonymous with weights and barbells. And so like, you know, I think um, B2C become a brand, B2B become a publisher is kind of the way to kind of break it out. I think there are also B2C examples of um, becoming a publisher that are interesting, but definitely on the B2B side, because I think um, really focusing on content that can lead into sales funnel filling and that that includes uh, creating content that will get secondary signups for things like newsletters, ebooks, white papers, right? Creating lead magnets that then can produce um, going to your CRM and then produce content from there to then get people into a sales call. Um, that's all important. I think that's really one of the best ways I've heard it described and explained, and it makes makes a lot of sense. And it's kind of what my gut maybe told me that it always was. But like SEO is such a um, I'm skeptical of most people that say they're SEO experts because they start coming up with their own theories and and they're all different or they're all trying to figure it out still because and and your explanation made the most sense because okay it's about just really effort 
you know, yeah. I mean, what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, everybody wants a um, a silver bullet with yeah. SEO, right? And then there's tons of people out there willing to provide that silver or fake silver bullet to you, but it's not real. The reality is always, and I tell people this all the time, like, this is not hubris. I really feel like I can help somebody rank for any keyword and drive as much traffic from organic as possible. Caveat, how much money do you want to spend on it? Because mm-hmm. it's really not that hard. It just comes down to resources. The difficulty level's not there. It just, and you see it with these big companies, right? Like huge venture backed companies jumping into spaces and taking over spaces. Why? Because there's enough money to leverage as much content, links, all the things, branding, right? That that's possible. Um, so what, pe- what people are often talking about with SEO is trying to find the shortcut. Like, Absolutely. Well, what's my shortcut? Um, well, it's it's free, man. Social media is free, so I'm yeah, spending money on advertising. Right. I can just put a lot of stuff. I can get my yeah, Facebook see, channel. This is and... why I don't do agency work anymore, and you're bringing it all back to me now because I can <laughs> tell I can tell that's something you've heard from a customer before, and like I know I've heard it's like, well, why why is this monthly fee this like you know, no, it's just no. Yeah, I, I have to pay for a photographer and a photo shoot. You can't just do it with your phone. You know, I mean, the, the world's changed. I, mean, I used to never step foot out of this building without a crew and a light crew and a kit and a, t- you know, a, a truck and all this other stuff. And now it's like, hey, can you go grab some shots? Because it's, you know, they're, they're not bad. I mean, my phone is pretty good. I mean, it takes really good pictures sometimes, especially if I know how to use it. Mm-hmm. But there's still the 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 person behind it and and being able to get the right things and process the right things and and anyway that's a whole other argument for another day but I think um the world moves so fast that everybody thinks there's a magic button on your desk you know okay magic it just happens you know there's still you know and you can tell the because everybody does this that the, the the um ease of entry into this workspace is pretty easy I mean if you read a couple of books and get yourself at a laptop you can call yourself an agency of any kind right and um so there's a lot of people that, that are playing this game right now and I think hopefully in the end like that's one of the questions I want to ask you is you know with the influencer thing going on right now you know it, it obviously that's not going anywhere that's here to stay and they do have a voice in this um the creators out there um but how does that play with you know real world business marketing you know because we're having to do it we're having to go tap into the, those resources to find people to speak on our behalf, you know, because they have a voice and they have a million followers, you know, um, how does that work into your consciousness? Yeah. I mean, I think you know, we've always veered away from, um, we don't get too involved with the influencer piece of it, but I think a tangential thing that we are starting to get towards is um, incorporating subject matter experts into the content creation. So, you know, historically, we've always had an issue where there's always been an issue of like, you know, I want to write a bunch of content on machine learning. How do I find a developer that can also be a good copywriter? It don't exist. Like, let me take it back. There's probably somebody out there, (laughs) but very hard to scale. So um, being able to leverage the expertise of someone, right? So like not an influencer per se, not a big following, but somebody who's likely written on this topic on other places. And that people, when they read the article and they see who's written it, they will say, oh, this is authoritative. This person knows their stuff, you know. Um, that's where we're veering towards. Um, and I think I'm interested to like, we have these two routes in front of us. Like, 
I mean, with the universe as a whole, right? This whole timeline for me is funny. Like we were in a very interesting, like the world's become kind of a circus kind of mm-hmm. thing. Whereas like, you know, do we continue down this ro- route where, um, yes, I have Kim Kardashian like selling me crypto, which makes total sense, right? Because she's a <laughs> crypto expert. Absolutely. Um, or do I have a bunch of people that are actual crypto experts having a voice and that's who I follow as a group, right? I think you could probably see that in your own social media life. Like my social media life, I follow a bunch of SEO marketing experts, content experts that I find their opinions valuable. I'm not going to take my content marketing advice from Kim Kardashian, but I think there's a concern because that is not the way that Gen Z takes in information. I think uh, there's a a generation coming that are going to have a harder time figuring out who is authoritative and what's real information and what's not. It's real scary to me because I have a 14 year old who's on TikTok all the time. And Mm -hmm. I have to go and like go through the information with him every day and say, Nope, that's not real. This is real. You know? Oh yeah. Pitching to the choir. I had a long conversation with Jackie the other night because I was pretty sure the world was going to end on September 24th. And she had to talk me off the ledge because I saw a couple of videos that were talking about something bad was going to happen. There was a sunburst or something flying, whatever. And uh, you know, I'm like, is this real? <laughs> I, I know like, it's not, but no, no, I, I mean, get like that every day. Like Putin's going to blow us all up. Like that's my, that's my new constant one. That we're and yeah. so I'm just like, we need um, to not hang out, Dave. We're not allowed to hang out after this. We would, we would, we would not be good for each other. I'm going to have to be a news filter for both of you. <laughs> I try not to get on social or listen, watch news a lot of time. Like I'll go on AP and just like, kind of like download from there. But um, yeah, back to your point, I think businesses should lever leverage experts and i think there's a lot of value in experts out there i think chasing the big audience um isn't always valuable because what's also happening influencers are becoming commoditized right like if i follow someone and 50 percent of their posts are ads do i value what they're selling anymore you know mm-hmm. um i think i think we'll see some shifts in that marketplace as things go on i also would like to i'm hoping influencers over time i think we're seeing more of this now become more content creators i there are influencers who are content creators but there's also influencers who are just influencers mm-hmm. yes they post content but i would i would definitely differentiate that like a good example is mr beast right like that guy's creating i don't know if you guys are familiar with him mm-hmm. He's, he's gigantic. He's a YouTuber, but he's creating real content, right? Like he's, his audience is huge and he's like, he will rival audience wise, any major TV show or movie, right? And he's creating videos on a constant basis. So that's a content creator. And I think that one I'm more behind than, you know, the Instagram, like influencer selling me the latest, like fitness, whatever. Who does a lot of dance moves. Yeah, just like I don't. What's the what's the long term viability there? That feels very fatty, right? Oh, we had um like the other day we had a um a client that we represent. They have this. It's a local farmer here, but he has this rice that um that he grows and produces, and it's like fifty three percent more protein, and it's low glycemic index. It's really like revolutionary, and it was done at the LSU Ag Center down here in um in Baton Rouge, and it's it's really revolutionary, especially for diabetics and people that you know crash after eating you know rice they're looking mm-hmm. or people that are trying to train and get protein out of their meals you know from something like rice which is just throwaway right but um so we were looking at influencers and somebody from my company had brought back someone and they had a big cooking following big numbers but i'm like is that the right audience for this you know like it, she uses rice as a as a throwaway you know versus somebody that's maybe in a diabetic community that really has a voice yeah. 
for people that really need to hear this stuff, you know, and finding the right match, somebody that's going to be passionate about it and not just talk about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Again, authoritative, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, like finding people who are on, I think it's called the AIP diet. Like they're restricted based on like having allergens in their foods and whatnot. Um, like, I mean, yeah, like I think finding that niche, I think too, too many people right now from the influencer perspective are just caught up on how much they're, how much of a following they have and not asking, is this the right channel for my messaging? And, and no clue what those numbers are. I mean, you may have a million followers, yeah, but no, I mean, that's all, what right. are all, they? I no, mean, no, it's, who that's are all they? nonsense. Like, uh, I find all of that very interesting. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys saw that report that came out maybe a month ago where there was an agency that was getting people verified on Instagram by making them um, what they would do is make the musical artists create music on their behalf. They weren't musicians, put it on to Spotify. And there was a loophole in Instagram where they would actually get verified just because they had a Spotify account. And so they would verify them and give them a check. Right. Oh, wow. But it, they were like a dentist or like a, <laughs> uh, like one guy was a jeweler, you know, it's like, um, and so, yeah, I mean, who are they? What are they? Like, what is their following really? Like, these are all viable questions. I think, I think, I think from a pure e-commerce standpoint, a great example, I think is, is makeup, like finding people that do makeup tutorials and whatnot. And, or like, you know, a lot of stuff the Kardashians have, I think there is a viability from an e-com perspective, but unfortunately I think what happens, right. You have all those badges behind you, Jackie's people go to conferences and they see case studies and are like, you know, my case study from using this Instagram model for my company. And then the guy who owns like the plumbing equipment one is like, well, of course, I got to go find an Instagram model. It's like, no, bro, you're missing the point. here. Yes. And so people try to approach these strategies like they're one size fits all. And they're just not. Yeah, Thank you, you wanna... for noticing all of my conference badges. Mm-hmm. They are my greatest claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs> they um i don't know if you ever stay up late one night which i often do is you get on this this um you start going through the lives that are going on and it's like that whole 15 minutes of fame man i mean people they go live and they just sit there and talk about nothing and yeah. but they have always i'm amazed i guess i'm part of the problem because i'm watching them sometimes but i'm like they have like a thousand people watching them I'm like who are these people that are up at two in the morning watching this person eat oatmeal and you yeah. know and and it's like there's that that's it it's a crazy yeah. world yeah, it's definitely a dystopian uh, world that we live in. <laughs> people watching people eat oatmeal. That's the worst. Um, Dave, I feel like you have been incredibly generous with your time and your talent and your knowledge and your expertise. And this hour has flown by. Um, Michael, I'm going to have to rein you in. Do you have one last question for him? No, but I definitely want to um, want to talk more to you, you or some of your people, because like I said, I think this is something that um, uh, we want to learn more about. And I guess the, the other question is, you know, again, from a branding perspective, I mean, I'm very territorial of, of my clients and the messaging that we create for them. It's like getting convincing me to say it's OK to let go a little bit and, and trusting that, you know, outside resource to take as good a care of them as you want. You know, that kind of yep. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what we. <laughs> I get that from a lot of people. It's why we we often start our campaigns with very slow. Like the first month is all style guide creation, testing, onboarding. I'm rare. I don't charge them for any of that stuff when they come on because it's kind of like, hey, I'll prove to you that we know how to do this, you know, before we get into it. Um, because, yeah, I mean, people need to be confident that if I'm going to deliver a 
the way I look at it is I, all the content I deliver to people needs to go on that website immediately and never be touched by somebody else. That's how quality it needs to be. It needs to be to where eventually we can not have to worry about embedding it. Um, yeah, and giving up that control can be difficult. Yeah, I, I can see where it goes awry because I know I've heard of different groups that do that. They'll they'll type in, tap into an Indonesian company or something, and they're generating all of their stuff, and and it's it's like third party. You know, it's like they've checked out; they're no longer driving the train on it, and that's pretty scary to me. I, I think that's almost you know criminal. Yeah, hundred a hundred percent. And I think you know with our model again, it goes back to why our model is the way it is. Where I'm not working with a ton of companies or a ton of mm -hmm. partners because yeah i mean at that scale uh things start to fall apart right like so there's two types of scale there's scale where you're dealing with tons of people and tons of stuff um and then there's the scale of just creating lots of quality products and so we're comfortable with that side of it where you know trying to manage a thousand customers and replicate that becomes more difficult i think mm -hmm. well this has been awesome though i really enjoyed this dave i appreciate your time Yep. Jackie? I, I just, I'm not sure how Michael turned our really exciting podcast <laughs> into a job interview, but here we are. I'm fascinated by it. Uh, Dave, thank you for your time and for your insight uh, and for all of your knowledge. Uh, we are super excited that you agreed to be a part of this podcast and um, it made Michael happy because he just knows he's not the only weirdo out there. Good. I'm Absolutely. glad I can let you know there's another weirdo out there. <laughs> Yeah, congratulations on all the success. It sounds like you guys are just kind of killing it. So, um, you know, good luck on moving forward and hopefully y'all keep on reinventing the wheel. Yep. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you.